Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of you two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And this is a tough date. We've been on a lot of dates together, but we haven't ever been on a date with you, our Buffalo Rumblings listeners, the NNNs. We haven't been together after a loss, we were we were undefeated in the preseason, and went three and zero to start the regular season. And now we have our first loss to some very usual suspects, the New England Patriots. Boo! Boo! So, what do you think about this, Bruce? What kind of sage relationship advice do you have for us in these times? I think that adversity does not build character. I think that that is a phrasing, sage wisdom, if you will, that really isn't true. Adversity reveals character. Adversity shows you what you were going to be anyway. And I think that you can learn from adversity retrospectively, but that doesn't mean it builds character. So I think that the lesson we can learn, that the NNNs can learn at this point, is Let's, uh, let's give us a shot here. Let's see how we respond to this negative stimuli. Yeah, we're going to do our best. One of the things that I, th- I-, I want to get into that I think is kind of interesting about the scenario that we're in right now is, and I, I know other people have talked about it. Several people have talked about it. Greg Thompson from Cover One was at the bar with us on Sunday as we watched the game at the Cleveland Bills backers, and he and I spoke about it at one point during, uh, during the game. Which is, at that point in time, it was the start of the fourth quarter. We had the ball just over midfield in Patriots territory, down less than one score, six points, with an opportunity to go take the lead and potentially win the game. If you had told anybody a couple of months ago that we would be 3-0 in that position against the Patriots at home, everybody would have been like, that's exciting. That's I would take that. And if you extrapolate that out, a lot of people would have said if we were 3-1 and one at the end of the first quarter of the season, uh, we had one loss to the New England Patriots. Everybody, I think, would sign up for that and say that was 
the best possible outcome that would fall into the category of possible, you know, optimistic, but possible. And now you get with a loss, some of the chirping that comes along with having to actually experience the things that we talk about and we say, oh, that would be good enough. But then whenever you actually have to go through it and you have to lose one of those games and it's a game against the Patriots, a, a team that we hate in a game whenever we had potentially the opportunity or many opportunities to win, it's, it could be a tough pill to swallow and it, and it hurts and it bothers people and there's blame to be placed. I, I said last year, whenever we were still the Bills Backers podcast, that the appetite of fans changes from what they claim they're willing to undergo versus what you're actually willing to undergo, at least without not a ton of squawking, you know what I mean? And not a ton of complaining and saying this isn't right. I get it. We lost for a long time as a fan base. There is a significant gap between our experience as fans and the experience of many other fan bases, especially the Patriots. And that can be frustrating whenever you have to continue to experience it to any degree. I also think that that's just the reality of, of having a football team. You can't you can't say in the offseason if we go three and one that would be ideal if we go this or that or uh, la- you know previously last season it was this record doesn't matter we just have to see progress from Josh Allen I don't care what the record looks like but yeah well then when you lose ten games and you actually have to sit with those for six days in between each game and you have to sit with you have to sit through ten losses for three and a half hours every Sunday. Your appetite to actually do that, although sounds great on paper and you're willing to you're willing to sign yourself up for that, people's desire to actually withstand that shrivels significantly. Yeah. I think that it's difficult to separate your emotions and the rawness of those emotions from what you know in your mind is true or is reasonable. It's difficult to accept things that you know in your head are correct because you don't like the way they make you feel. It's difficult to accept rebuilding even though you know that you're going to have to suffer some losses. In your head, you know that rebuilding comes with it some demolition, and that's going to hurt. But when you feel them, it doesn't make you like them better. Because there is an emotional component to fandom. Uh, you know, even me, who I feel emotions probably less than a lot of fans out there probably do. It's just the nature of who I am. It's how I'm wired. I am dead inside. I still feel things, and it still hurts. Even though I know that it might be right, it still hurts. Even though I know that Josh Allen played like garbage on Sunday and was terrible I know that to be true but it still hurts to say it and it hurts to think about it because I don't want that to happen because I don't want him to play like garbage and I think that's where the method by which we get to three and one comes into play everyone says at the beginning three and one would be great but three and one not all three and ones are created equal we said yesterday last week on the pod is that not all three and oh teams are created equal Well, now the Bengals look terrible. 
the Giants pre-Eli looked bad, and now all of a sudden with Daniel Jones look markedly better, and there's a, well, if we would have played Daniel Jones, would we have lost that game? You know, the Jets, there's all that concept of, well, you know, C.J. Mosley got hurt, Sam Darnold was kind of coming down with mono. All of a sudden, 3-1 and one doesn't look quite the way that you thought 3-1 and one might look. Yeah. Well, I don't have a whole lot else to say about that aside from I always think it's interesting whenever we hear the fan base and we hear people who are interacting with us on Twitter or Buffalo Rumblings or wherever comment on this would be a good outcome, 3-1. and one. And then you get to 3-1 and one and there's just a, the level of satisfaction that you expected based on the previous conversation is not there. And, you know, uh, I saw that going differently in my mind. That's it. I, I, I don't have anything else to say about it aside from that. But I, let's keep talking about Josh Allen because there is a particular comparison that has found its way into the Bills Mafia conversation currently that is one I'm particularly repulsed by. Not because I, I don't have a whole lot of commentary about whether it's right or wrong, you're going to get into that. But I said a couple weeks ago that what I thought Josh Allen's floor was and what I was worried he was never going to be more than was EJ Manuel with the balls at guys' feet and just the never being able to put any zip on the ball, being just wildly inaccurate over and over and over again. Now, this game, there's a gift that's floating around of Josh Allen... I think it's called the quicksand experience is what somebody titled it on Twitter. And it's just a chopped up compilation of many, many inerrant and inaccurate throws that Josh Allen made on Sunday. And it's very similar actually to a gif chop up that Mitchell Trubisky had out after week one that was lowering his stock significantly. Matthew Fairburn from the athletic in his article talked about after how many games? 16. After 16 games, the statistical production of Josh Allen and E.J. Manuel is remarkably similar. And you have some feelings about what that does and does not mean. I do have some feelings. When we opened this pod, one might think that this opening had a negative slant to it. When we talked about how 3-1 and one doesn't necessarily feel the way that you would want 3-1 and one to feel. I, I, can I go on record with that real quick? I'm sure. fine with it. I'm very good with it. I feel, I, feel, I feel quite good. I'm disappointed. It's frustrating. It's bad whenever you have a team that you hate and you feel like you had a shot at them and you let it go. Like, that stings. It just is like... It's just, you know, then, you know, the people who talk trash are going to be like, you guys just can't, you suck again. Patriots are great. You're like, dude, do you not like you have no context to this at all, right? That's frustrating. I as well feel fine at three and one. But the reason we talked about that, the reason I wanted to make sure I went on record with the, you know, not all three and ones feel the same is so that I could then have this discussion about EJ Manuel and Josh Allen. The resulting statistics, yards, touchdowns, interceptions, sack numbers, yards per attempt, things like that, may look very similar, but they were arrived at very differently. 
And just like not all 3-0 and 3-1 and teams are the same, not all passers with that stat line are the same. E.J. Manuel and Josh Allen might have similar lagging data, which is their raw statistics. They are very, 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 very different passers. And they arrived at that much differently. This is where film review, this is where advanced statistics can help you. This is where something like, did you know that E.J. Manuel in 2013 was 13th in the league in deep passing percentage? And Josh Allen last year was first in the league in air yards per attempt. I understand that those are not the exact same statistic, but they measure similar things, which is degree of difficulty on throws. People forget the narratives all of a sudden. E.J. Manuel was being called a less accurate Trent Edwards because of his propensity for checking out. Just don't believe me. Google any articles from his 2013 season. And the narrative was he won't take shots down the field. That was the narrative. Has anyone ever said that about Josh Allen ever? We're begging him to take the easy stuff. We are saying, Josh, what are you doing? Zay Jones is running open four feet in front of your freaking face. Just drop the ball off. We're calling those little uh, shovel pet. What are they? They sweep shovel passes, right? Yeah. They designed little pitch to Isaiah McKenzie. And instead, Josh is like, nah, going deep. Going deep. <laughs> no, so I'm just, that's hyperbole, of course. But that's, you're exactly right. I mean, and we saw, we suffered consequences because of it yesterday. Yeah, right? there was a slant wheel combo later on in the game on third down where Cole Beasley, he's tried to hit Cole Beasley on the, on the open route. And both Zay Jones and John Brown were both open on the slants underneath. I understand that the lagging data is similar. But if that's all you look at, and, and, and your conclusion based on this is, well, Josh Allen's trajectory is E.J. Manuel, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you we- didn't watch the film. You didn't use any of the advanced statistics that are there for a reason to help you provide context to the lagging indicator, which is passing yards. Not all 50-yard passes are the same. If I dump a five-yard check down to a running back who makes eight people miss and runs at 50 yards, that is not the same as a 25-yard deep in over top of a linebacker in front of a safety perfectly placed so the wide receiver can cut the corner on the other safety and run for more yardage. It's not the same throw. It ends up looking the same when you look at box scores, but it's not. I understand that the net effect, which is what those lagging statistics measure, the net effect how many yards were gained on this pass. I understand that those things are similar, but that's just what. That's not why or how. That is just data interrogative. Who, what, when, where, why, how, which are your interrogatives. Who, what, when, where, and which are data interrogatives. Why and how are contextual interrogatives. So if you only want to use data points, lagging data points, you're going to miss it Entirely. You're going to miss the whole point. So for those of you who are seeing that comparison, Josh Allen is an infinitely more talented thrower of the football than E.J. Manuel has ever been. I think Josh Allen already reads defenses better than E.J. Manuel. And he's not great at it. (laughs) I would agree with that. But he's already beyond the best we ever saw of E.J. Absolutely. It's not, in my opinion, it's not even close. We talked about being a natural thrower of the football. 
right? Josh Allen's mechanics, his lower body mechanics, were absolutely brutal on Sunday, which is why we, you know, I have a discussion about Josh Allen being mechanically accurate, not naturally accurate. And what that means is when his mechanics are jacked up, he's inaccurate. Guess what? His mechanics were jacked up, and he was inaccurate. Because he's not capable of throwing pinpoint accurate passes with terrible lower body mechanics. He can't do it. So if his mechanics are jacked up and he's throwing off his back foot 40 yards down the field, it's no wonder it's terrible. Now, why were his mechanics jacked up? They were jacked up because he was nervous and confused about what he was seeing and wasn't sure whether or not to look get off his first read. He gets back there. He goes, okay, John Brown's not open, but, but is, is he going to be? I, I don't I don't know what I'm seeing here. So he never even gets to Zay Jones running open on a drag route. He never even gets there. And the Patriots' pass rush was adequate. Yeah, it was, was absolutely it, it, enough it, to it, mess him up. Yeah, it was enough to move him. There were times where he moved when he didn't need to. There were also times where he could have used, you know, specifically when Cody Ford was playing tackle on every single rep, where he could have used some extra time. I have a question about the Josh Allen thing. So... This is an this is a situation because of his lower body mechanics that he allowed himself to get flustered or he was made flustered by arguably the best defense in the league. This wasn't against, you know, uh, a middling defense. This is this is a terrific defense, probably the most talented defense that Bill Belichick has had in a long time, coached by potentially the Greatest defensive mind in the game, right? Like this is not against an inferior opponent. This is probably the best opponent he could possibly face. So take that into consideration and, and use that for whatever it's worth. By the same token, this is now an opportunity where you need to go back to the film and you need to say, Josh, here's the mistakes that you made. Here's how you started to let yourself get away mechanically. Here's why you started to deliver the ball in the in in, in uh, locations that were that were bad for the receivers. And then they can also work on the mind portion of it, which is this is what you were seeing, this is what you should have seen, this is how you should have read that, so on and so forth. Well, now he potentially is going to be out for a week. And or, I mean hypothetically longer, hopefully he's not out for longer. But let's say that he was out this next week against Tennessee because of the concussion. And Matt Barkley starts. I, I, I don't know how crazy this makes me, but there's a part of me that says, okay, it wouldn't be a bad thing to sit Josh down here and say, all right, man, let's just take a let's look again. Let's really take a seat and look at what this is supposed to look like as far as Setup, position, release, timing, all of that. Because that those are actually Matt Barkley's best skill sets, right? His his worst skill set is natural arm, natural arm talent and creativeness, you know, being able to make things happen whenever it's not manufactured. If you want a glass half full perspective, if Josh Allen is out, which we don't know if he will or won't be, we'll find out a lot more on the day this podcast drops on Wednesday. But I'd, I'd be interested to know if you think it's absolutely crazy to think that there's actually some kind of backhanded benefit to him sitting for a week in this circumstance after what he just went through with the Patriots. I don't think it's crazy for you to think that. I disagree. 
I disagree because there is a time for learning through observation. I think we're past that time. If at this point you cannot learn through playing, if you cannot learn and also be playing simultaneously, then we have issues. You can't always, when you reach the highest level, you can't always take a break and recalibrate yourself and go back to the drawing board. You have to learn to rebuild the airplane while it's in flight sometimes. Sometimes you can't land. Yeah. It, it, you, he, would, he would never otherwise have the opportunity. That's yeah. kind of why I'm like, well, it's, you, you never do this on purpose. Never, ever, ever, ever do you sit your potential franchise quarterback on purpose to say, you need a week off. Never. Also, if he needs the week off, it means the concussion protocol is progressing fairly slowly. And if the concussion progressive concussion protocol is progressing fairly slowly, I'm not entirely sure if you want to smack him around mentally with a bunch of learning opportunities. Yeah, I don't even know what he's allowed to do either. I mean, there are there's so, specific limitations yeah. as to what you can do. So I, I don't think there's a benefit to be gained. I understand why you would think that. Like, I, I, I well, follow I, the logic. I just disagree that there's a benefit to be gained. I'm, well, that's why I'm screening it, because I, th- I don't think I'm the only person who would, whose mind would go there and say, oh, you know, so Josh was having a hard time. Then he sat for a bunch because he was hurt. And then he came back and he was better. Josh was having a hard time. He's going to sit potentially. Maybe that means he's going to come back and he's going to be better, right? I mean, like, that's I, – I think that there's a lot of people who would who his mind would go there, but – it's good to be screened as to whether or not that actually holds any water. I think it's a similar discussion to Cody Ford. People on the coaching staff obviously think that by platooning Cody Ford and Ty Inseki, that they can accelerate Cody Ford's learning curve. But Cody Ford, every time he goes out there, is causing problems at right tackle. I mean, whether or not you're a PFF grade person or not, I mean, his pass blocking grade is in the 30s. It's not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. And that shows up on film. That shows up when you watch him. That shows up on the eye test. That shows up every single time I've had to rewatch these games, which unfortunately I have to do, even after losses. So far, it hasn't been that bad because I get to rewatch all the wins. But now I had to rewatch the loss before our pod, and I had to watch the Titans Falcons and some of the Titans stuff from earlier this year. So it's a similar concept to that. They think that there's something to be gained there from playing a little and then coming back and watching. But it doesn't seem to be working. At some point, you need to do that stuff in the offseason. You need to learn that stuff in the offseason. And if you can't play and learn, in Cody Ford's situation, the answer is don't play. In Josh's situation, there is no don't play. We've already, he's in. He's the guy. We're not going to bench him for a couple weeks, play Matt Barkley, and then bring it back in and say, oh, you know, he's a. Maybe someone should bring that point up to Sean McDermott in the press conference. Hey, you know, since this platooning thing has been going so well for Cody Ford, you should try it with Josh Allen. And he'd be like, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm like, yes, it is ridiculous. So stop doing it at right tackle. Well, I want to move on to another thing about Allen, but do you have anything else you want to say about the conversation that we've had that we're kind of wrapping up here? Yeah. We cannot be afraid as a fan base 
to understand that multiple things that appear on the surface to be conflictual are not conflictual, and you can actually live with both of them being true. I mentioned this on Twitter, but Josh Allen played horribly on Sunday. If you were assigning blame, if you had shares of blame to give out, you, you have an IPO, and <laughs> you are giving out shares, the plurality of those shares, the majority shareholder in Sunday's loss would be Josh Allen. I don't think if you were going to take this, the loss to the Patriots on Sunday and you were going to take that public, not inter- if, you, if you were to be my stockbroker and you call me up and say, I got a good one for you, it's the Bills loss to the Patriots. Not interested. Not buying. Just hard pass. Yeah. Sell, sell, sell. Get back in there at once and sell, sell. The point being, he can be the plurality to blame. The offensive line was meh. The wide receivers were meh. The play calling was fine. Josh Allen is the most significant reason why we lost on Sunday. That can be true. And we can also still not think, well, the the world's on fire. Josh Allen's a failure. Let's just hang it up. We're going to be a disaster for the rest of the year. We're probably going to give him 2021. We're going to go through quarterback quarterback limbo. We're wasting a championship. Are we going to have the Ryan Tannehill problem? Right. We're, we're... <laughs> Those two things can simultaneously be true. And we need to be comfortable. One of my beloved Twitter followers, Buffalo Down, said, limbo doesn't have comfortable chairs. When you're in limbo, you desperately want to just get out of limbo. You want to get to something stable. Either he's the guy or he's not the guy. But you have to be comfortable acknowledging the fact that we just don't know yet, and that's okay. So we just go with the data we have available to us right now without extrapolating it out to anything else. He simultaneously was awful on Sunday, and also we still think he might be the guy. Both those things can be true. And we need, as a fan base, to be comfortable living in that. We rush to, yes, he's the guy, and then we plant our flag and defend it against all assailants because we desperately want to be the first one to get there, plant our flag, and then defend our mountaintop. I declare this land cohort Against anyone who would challenge us. Either that's he's not the guy or he is the guy. But why can't we just accept the fact that we don't know? Because we don't, we don't like that. It makes us very uncomfortable. We're not comfortable in flux. We're not comfortable in limbo. Well, you need to be because that's what developing a quarterback is. Developing a quarterback is a lot of time spent in limbo knowing that progress is not linear. And we need to be comfortable in that discomfort. And we need to, as a fan base, agree that we're going to be there until there's statistically significant data and enough time to reasonably draw a conclusion. And we're not there. You made an offhanded comment during that point-making, during that pulpit-smashing, during that sermon-shouting, that the play-calling was fine. Not everybody feels that way. There are some people who still have a bone to pick with Brian Dable. And I am not in that camp. 
I think their conversation is a lot of times that you should have run whenever you passed or you should have passed whenever you ran or whatever. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, So it's easy for people to make such comments. Here's my two cents on that before you share your thoughts on it. When Zay Jones has his man beat on at least three separate occasions that I can recall, when John Brown or Zay Jones or Dawson Knox are running th- running free in open space on four or five instances, I think, that we can think about, when those things happen and those plays are left on the field, you can't blame Brian Dable for that. He called a play where there was a play to be made for significant yardage. And if Josh Allen or if he calls a running play and the defenders are out of position and there's a hole to be had and the running back runs into the lineman's ass as opposed to takes a sidestep to the right and finds the hole, again, that's not necessarily on the offensive coordinator. He's putting his players in a position to succeed. The players are leaving those plays and those touchdowns and those yards on the field. And I I suppose that perhaps the comeback to that is going to be that, well, regardless of whether or not the players executed the play correctly, the offensive coordinator is responsible for getting production out of the offense at 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 the end of the day that is their responsibility and if that's not happening maybe it's because they're calling plays that are difficult for this group of players to execute and they should change or something I don't know what the comeback would be I can imagine that somebody's going to try to make that comeback if I was in that camp but I I don't think that anybody who's making these comments has much of a leg to stand on as far as the ability to be an offensive coordinator. For for example, to illustrate my point here, I don't know who it was that asked the question, but Deshaun Watson, quarterback for the Houston Texans, was asked by a reporter why they didn't take more deep shots in the football game, whoever they played this past Sunday. And he kind of smirked, and looked off to the side. I don't know if he was looking to the press guy or what, but he was like, I don't really want to make a fool of this guy by just like trouncing him with knowledge <laughs> and beating him down and making him look dumb. But, you know, he, he said, do you know what coverage they were playing? And the guy said, no. And he said, well, basically they were playing cover four and they were playing in such a way where the safeties had discretion about whether or not they were going to take things that came underneath them or they were going to guard things that went over top of them. And that there were only two plays in the game where there was a route that was taking place underneath and the safeties came low. And that gave Deshaun the opportunity to go deep over top of them. And the rest of the game, they kept playing that coverage, but the safeties never gave themselves up to go to be had over the top. So Deshaun's like, so I can't make I, that's not the throw I make. I'm that's not my that's not what I'm supposed to do. And if he just said no, like a lot of times, hey, was there more opportunities to go deep that you guys didn't take advantage of? No, not really. You know, no. Fans are just gonna complain and be like, you gotta make it happen and just say things that have no actual appreciation for what was happening on the field. 
because they watch and they see other things happen on other games or with other players, and they think that they should happen with their team and their players as well. I think that's just a small, small example of the complexity which offensive players and offensive coordinators are navigating that we couldn't possibly appreciate or that the average fan couldn't possibly appreciate. Last week we talked about the fact that every defense gives you something. If they decide that they are going to take away the deep ball, go an entire game and don't throw the deep ball because that's what they've decided that they're going to take away. And every defense, regardless of talent level, can just get a numbers advantage in a specific area of the field that would make it undesirable to make that throw in relation to an easier throw. And so, to your point about Brian Dable, if he's calling plays that allow for plays to be made, then that's a reasonable expectation for Brian Dable. In addition... When was the last time we had a top 10 offense in yards after four games? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller. 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 Anybody at all? I'm not here for your Brian Dable hate. I'm just not here for it. Because I watched the game and I had to watch it back and I had to watch the L-22 there were plays to be made. Josh Allen didn't make them. I have a question about... I have two questions in relation to this. One, it's different, right, if Dable's calling plays and his receivers aren't getting open. His receivers cannot get separation. Then you go back to the offensive coordinator and you say, dude, your guys can't do what you're asking them to do and be successful. Manufacture something else. Yes. That's when you do drag routes. That's what the Patriots did. The Patriots came out expecting the Bills to play heavy zone because that's what we do. Instead, we hit them with, how you like them apples? Here's all man coverage. And the Patriots like, whoa, whoa. The Bills said, I think we have the horses. The Bills' defensive game plan with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott was... I think we didn't have the horses historically. We have the horses. We can match up with your people one-on-one. And we're going to. And guess what? They were right. So that pick play that got them a lot of yardage that should have been called for offensive pass interference because of a trip, that play was a direct result of we can't win man-to-man. We got to do something. So we had dual drags with a pick. That's exactly what you're talking about. We can't win. This is not working. Let's call something else. Here's the difference. The Brian Dable stuff was working. They were getting open. Part of this Dable hate, and nobody will admit this, but deep in your heart of hearts, in a place that you don't want to admit exists, part of your Dable hate and part of your Zay Jones hate is because you don't want to blame Allen. Part of that, deep down in your soul, is because you, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, who are listening to this right now, you don't want to blame Allen. Because if you blame Allen, you're opening yourselves up to the idea he's not the guy. that he's not the guy. Yep. But I'm here to tell you that it's okay to blame Allen because blaming him doesn't mean he's not the guy. There are people who are the guy, who are established that they are the guy, who have games where they cost their team the win. Yes. All the time. All the time. Multiple times a year, 
good quarterbacks will have such a bad game that their team loses because they couldn't do anything. Yes. Absolutely happened. It's happened with Aaron Rodgers. It happened. It almost happened with Tom Brady. Yeah. Which is kind of how the quarterback tiering comes about. How yeah. much help do yeah, you have yeah. to give them to keep that from happening on the regular? Jared Goff had it happen to him in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, it doesn't, I understand, I think you're exactly right that that's one of the things that's happening and you don't have to worry about it. You really, no. not yet. I'm here to tell you that it's okay to say Josh Allen was absolutely awful. He was horse crap on Sunday and he's the main reason why we lost the game and that's okay. We don't have to deflect or misdirect so that somehow we don't have to blame Allen. Let's just blame Allen and also establish it's okay to blame Allen because we're just talking about that one game where he was terrible. Josh Allen is also the main reason we won a couple games so far since he's been starting. That's going to happen too. Yep. Let's take a quick break. We are going to come back and continue talking about Allen because I have another question about Brian Dable's play calling. And we will be right back with you. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat, along with... Bruce Nolan. And you can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. We are going to jump back in to our episode here where we are recapping the Patriots-Bills game where the Bills lost 16-10, to as well as start previewing this upcoming Tennessee Titans game. But before we do that... We're going to take a quick pause. We're going to tell you a little bit about what some people have told us about our podcast. And the way that they did this was they went over to iTunes. They gave us a review with a number, certain number of stars, typically four or five. And they gave us a couple sentences telling us what they thought. So we'd like to give a shout out to these people. I'll do the first one. You do the second one. I'll do the third one. Okay. We only have a couple this week, so it's no big deal. But Eastern 27, he made a threat. Eastern threatened us. He, he gave us a positive review, and then he said, if you don't keep the drops, I will flood you with streams of memes on how dogs are worse than people. 
it's not true, but I will do it. <laughs> he acknowledges, but he will he will flood you, Bruce, with that. Blocked. I will find you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. <laughs> we got Mo2729, who told us that we are now usurping other pods to be his number one Bills pod. We love you, Mo2729, and we are happy to have you as a fan. Indeed. Last one is, I don't know how to say, Jello, G-E-L-U. Jello? Gel, like G-E-L-U. Eunice. Uh, they didn't say anything about drops, so I have no idea how they feel, but they gave us a shout-out. So we appreciate you, Gello, Jello, Yunis, whoever you are. Thank you very much, guys. If you like what Bruce and I are doing, if this is helpful, if it's interesting, if it's something that you enjoy, something you look forward to, something that you spend your Wednesdays, Thursdays, or Fridays doing is listening to us, please let us know how you feel. Bruce and I love, we literally love hearing about it. There are people who have reached out to us on Twitter, who sent us DMs, who comment, who tell us that they get accounts on Twitter just to say, hey, there's a gentleman named Jahole, I think, right, is who, who reached out to us on Twitter because he said, I couldn't figure out how to leave a review, and I created a Twitter account just to tell you we like what you're doing. We, this literally makes, makes our week, makes our day whenever you guys send that to us, and it motivates Bruce and I to prioritize getting this pod done, getting it edited, getting it out for you guys to listen to because we got stuff going on like outside of this. And sometimes we don't live right next to each other. We don't work right next to each other. And it takes some effort for Bruce and I to do that. And uh, it helps us stay motivated if we know that y'all appreciate it. So head over to the iTunes store and give us a couple sentences of what you think. Back to the conversation we were having about Brian Dable's play calling. The question I was going to ask was related more to the Deshaun Watson conversation we had. So Josh Allen was going deep a lot. And even the telecast, which, you know, it's not an easy job. I'm not trying to poo-poo on these guys. They're an easy target when they mispronounce things or say guys' names wrong or transpose players or whatever. But even they were talking about how Josh Allen is not taking what the defense is giving him. He's forcing it deep, right? So this relates back to our Captain Checkdown and our E.J. Manuel and our Trent Edwards, everything else that we've talked about. What was the Patriots defense doing that was confusing him so much? What were they doing that made him think, I can't go underneath, I have to go deep? Or what were they doing that made him think that deep was there when it wasn't and he just looked like a, you know, he looked Terrible. He looked terrible. Looked like bad, really, really, really bad Brett Favre, right? That's a really, really big question. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to answer it. Give me it. even an example of one of the things they did that would that would that would wet my appetite. I'm, I'm going to try to answer it as best as I can in generalities. Just generally, this is what I no, saw. In, in about um, in about 120 seconds, I'd love it if you could tell me. All of the genius of Bill Belichick, please. <laughs> uh, a couple things were going on here. The first thing that was going on was that I mentioned on the pod last week that one of the things that a defense can try to do to you is to show you what they're giving you and what they're taking away from you as late into the down as humanly possible. And Bill Belichick's defense is great at doing that. It is great at having the safeties not show you what it is that they're going to be in 
whether that's cover two, whether that's cover one, whether it's cover three, until as late in the down as humanly possible. Talk about disguising coverages. This is what we mean. The second thing that was happening was that Josh Allen wasn't getting off of his first read and his second read as well as he should. Because it was taking him longer to interpret what he was seeing, by the time he did determine what it was, he didn't think he had time to then get to the third read, and his feet got antsy because he started to hear footsteps. So it's a combination of all this stuff. We had pass rush that was getting there. It wasn't crazy, but it was getting there. Josh Allen's clock was messed up. That's the general, I probably should have led with that statement. That's the general thing that was working on. Josh Allen's perception of time was off because it took him longer into the down before he knew what he was seeing. By the time he knew what he was seeing, the bells and whistles and alarm was going off like, you don't have time. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. No, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> it, was, it was going off going, you don't have time. And then he, his feet started getting antsy. And he, he threw off his back foot. Or he said, I, I got to get rid of this. Let's get all this back in one throw. Let's just go. In general, is the best thing to do... In that case, like, look at your first read. If you really can't tell, go to your second and just, like, progress because there's a possibility that somewhere, some way, a guy is going to not, like, he's going to not perform his duties on defense appropriately. And maybe somebody's just going to get beat physically. Sure, you can say that, but it's a little bit like trying to do a calculus test with a gun to your head. You can say that, yeah, I know all the steps, but it's a little different when I have a gun to my head. A lot of stuff that I, I knew was true like five minutes ago is really hard right now. <laughs> and part of this other issue is the reason why I say I don't want my quarterback to be a good athlete. We talked about this when we talked the listen, the post-draft pod, I think. I said, I don't care if my quarterback's a good athlete. In fact, I'd kind of prefer that he wasn't. And the reason that is is because when your oh shit timer starts to go off in your head, what do you do? And for Josh Allen, it's I'm going to run my way out of trouble. And for quarterbacks who are crappy athletes who have never been able to do that in their entire existence, they go, well, i got to throw myself out of trouble. I better find my check down. I better find my hot read. One of the issues with athletic quarterbacks, and one of the reasons why it seems strange that athletic quarterbacks get sacked at a higher rate than unathletic quarterbacks, but that always happens. And we're always like, why is that? It's because athletic quarterbacks have been athletic their entire life. And they truly believe they can run themselves out of trouble. And so does Josh Allen. Josh Allen will hold the ball for forever because he thinks he can dodge 47 people in the pocket. Whereas Matt Barkley, Matt Barkley's like, well, I have crappy athleticism. I have a crappy arm. If the world starts collapsing around me, I'm just going to see if I can find the closest person and try to throw them the ball. Yeah, I mean... That sounds to me like potentially how you can have a guy go wrong in that they become Captain Checkdown because they they get confused and rather than try to find their way out of trouble, throw their way out of trouble, run, do anything, they just are going to go, up oh, Frank Gore, up oh, TJ Yeldon, up oh, Frank Gore, up oh, TJ Yeldon, up oh, Lee Smith on a little hook, you know, and they're just going to dump, 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 dump because it's easy and it gets that ball out of their hands. This was my discussion with Tyrod Taylor. This was everyone's problem with Tyrod Taylor. I'm going to explain it in a way that I hope someone else has not explained it, so you're not listening to the same thing you always listen to. But everything that Tyrod threw, there was a discussion about his intermediate passes. Remember how he didn't like to throw the ball in the intermediate areas of the field? 
And the reason that is, is not just because he was shorter and had had trouble seeing that. It was because passes where there is nobody between you and the person you're throwing to are easy. Passes where there's nobody between the person you're throwing to and the end zone are also easy. Those are simpler reads. I'm not saying they're easy throws. It's not an easy throw to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. But they're easier reads. When it it's, I have to throw this ball out there, and my guy's going to run underneath it. And the deep shots, the deep shots are easier reads. And the checkdowns are easier reads. The difficult throws come in the intermediate areas where you're going over a linebacker and under a safety. Or you're waiting for an intermediate window to open up in zone coverage. That's where people make their money. So, funny story, Trent Edwards had a pretty decent deep ball. He used captain checkdown, and he threw a pretty decent deep ball, but Trent Edwards also didn't throw well in the intermediate area. Neither did Tyrod. That's, neither did EJ. That's how I know you're not reading things. When you see people say, he doesn't read the defense correctly, it's hard really to make that statement because, hate to break it to you, you Mr. and Mrs., Film analysts, you probably don't read the defense either because most of us haven't been to the scouting academy. I really want to go. Like, I want to, like, take a couple months off work and, like, do the scouting academy thing. But unfortunately, I have, like, work to do. What was that uh, space camp they always would give you at Nickelodeon? If, like, you won, uh, if you won Double Dare. It's Family Double Dare. Or if you won the Legends of the Hidden Temple, you are you ready, Olmec? Let's rock. They would show the kid in like the the big metal orb that would spin the different directions. You remember what I'm talking about? The gyroscope. Well, it was a gyroscope, sure. But what was that camp called? I have no idea. Oh my god, that's what you. But like, I was a kid watching Legends of the Hidden Temple. Legends of the Hidden Temple. And I that space camp was like. What I wanted to go to, that's you in the Scouting Academy. Yes, I absolutely want to go. But the fact of the matter is, one of the ways I know that you're not reading the defense correctly is if all of your throws are either checkdowns or deep shots because you can't manufacture a throw in the intermediate areas of the field because you can't read moving safeties and robbers and over linebacker under safety and you can't read people dropping into cover two and you can't... This yeah. is what well, it's that what, looks like. It's what was. It's what made us all so optimistic about Josh Allen in the first three weeks. It's the reason why I'm still optimistic because about he was Josh hitting. Allen. He was hitting a lot of intermediate stuff. Yeah, in time, Josh. I mean, to Cole Beasley, John Brown, as they're running seven to eight yards downfield, hitting them in stride. I made a comment on Twitter that got a fair amount of pub about. Josh Allen being better right now than Tyrod Taylor ever was. And a lot of people were like, well, you know, Tyrod Taylor in 2015, you know, he had a really good stat line. Yeah, he also had unbelievable weapons. Looking back, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, Chris Hogan, Marquise Goodwin, a really good offensive line, and prime LaShawn McCoy, uh, you had a good talent on that team. The fact that 2015 team didn't do as well as they should have is a incredibly underwhelming and disappointing because they had talent on that team. But a lot of Tyrod stuff, the vast majority was either checking it down or bombing it deep. He didn't play in the intermediate area the way that Josh Allen does. And that is something that some quarterbacks never get to, but Josh Allen did. 
And that's why Josh Allen's not EJ Manuel. And that's why Josh Allen's not Tyrod Taylor. There's stuff there to work with, guys. Okay. Let's shift gears and talk about some other stuff here because there's there's two other things that are not Josh Allen related that we ought to talk about before we talk about the Titans. First, everybody acknowledges and is now saying that there's no more questions, there's no more concerns or doubts whether or not this defense is good. And I think that our pass rush still a little bit of a bummer. Is there anything that's of interest talking about the defense at this point for you that we have not put on tape the previous three or four weeks? Those who were hoping that Trent Murphy would recapture his form and be a nine-sack guy, I think it's it's just safe to say that neither he nor Shaq Lawson are the answer, and I would make an argument at this point neither one of them probably should be looked at as a top three defensive end in 2020. I think that edge rusher is the biggest need on this team right now over alpha wide receiver. The, the presence of the idea that the Bills need an alpha wide receiver has come around this week because people don't want to blame Josh Allen for what happened. But <laughs> defensive end and pass rusher specifically is the number one need on this team, and it's not close. Yeah. Is there a trade to be made there? No. I really don't think so. Unless you can find somebody who's currently not good, but they think could be, which I think sounds strange when I say it. Jerry Hughes. But this regime has a habit of picking up people who have not thus far shown that they're the man, but this regime thinks they can. Let's go with Jordan Poyer. Let's go with Micah Hyde. These are people who did not come in as established top safeties, and both of them are established safeties at this point. Both of them are very, very good safeties, but neither one of them have a really, really good safety contract because at the time, that wasn't what their market was. This team, John Brown, Cole Beasley, this is this regime does that. So it's not crazy that they could make a trade for someone who is a third defensive end on somebody else's team who has one sack on the year, and we're like, oh, that doesn't move the needle, and they come in and do well. It's not crazy because this regime has shown the propensity for doing that before, but I just don't think based on the need and how valuable people view pass rushers, I just don't think that there's a midseason acquisition to be made there. To be fair, Trent Murphy was that too, and it hasn't really worked out. Trent Murphy was a, he, he got was, hurt, but we think that what we saw two years ago from him right. was the beginning of his precipice, yeah. and it didn't work out that way. But it's you're exactly, you are 100% Cole, right. If you want to talk about John Brown, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, I think that there's way more in that column, but if you're going to do a pros and cons list, hypothetically, you're going to put Trent Murphy in the uh, failed experiment. And I, I, I mean that without saying he's a rosterable player. He he he's not he's not a complete you know joke when you roll him out there. But for what this defense is lacking, he is not the solution that his position on the team might think that we need him to be. This also gives us a lot of insight as to what type of players we think the regime will target in free agency of this upcoming year. So as you and I talk about free agency in this offseason, we're going to look for people like that because it's been well established. The Bills have a type now. They like those redheads. You know, they have a type. 
They really like a specific type of person to pursue. And sometimes it works out. And in Trent Murphy's case, it just hasn't thus far. Okay. So here's, we talked, you said the, the alpha wide receiver uh, thirst has, has shown up. And the guy who is getting the reciprocal hate in response is Zay Jones. And I have I have mixed feelings about Zay for myself. One part of me is I, I said that I thought he actually could be a trade or um, a dark horse release candidate in the offseason. Now, the release was probably a silly thing to ever think because of his affordability in his contract. Now, I think that the trade conversation was less crazy. Uh, we haven't we haven't heard any of the top beat reporters come out and say that that was happening. There have been other people who've, who've suggested that it was something that was happening, but we, we don't know. That all being said, I think it's <laughs> the behavior of his family on social media also seems to always indicate that they would, they see greener pastures, right? There, there is, there is greener grass on the other sides of the fence. So you never really know how any of that stuff is impacting the regime and whatnot, or if they care to any degree. So there's a part of me that kind of wishes I maybe had stuck to my guns, but Zay came in shape. He can't, he put on weight. He, he seemed to have taken the off season uh, to go into his third season to physically really capitalize. Whereas the previous off season, there was a really bizarre hotel incident. Uh, there was nothing of that sort. And initially he was a guy that Josh Allen was was delivering the ball to on targets. Whether or not they were converting, he was targeting him. And then you start to think, okay, well, maybe there's some chemistry there that is going to carry over. And now we're getting to the point where it just looks, it's it's eye test kind of stuff and, and large level box score stat line. It just looks when like when Zay Jones is on the field, not enough good things happen. And that could be fair or unfair. Our friend Aaron Quinn is dying on the cross every hour <laughs> defending Zay Jones' honor on Twitter. And so be it. I mean, he's not... When you look at the film, you see Zay running open. He's beat his man deep. He's beat. He's running open across the middle of the field. And if you just deliver the ball... I mean, people have concerns about his hands and the dropsies, so you know he could he could seal the deal right there with that kind of stuff. But we don't even know because the ball isn't being given to him in the location that it should be, or given to him at all. So my stance on Zay Jones is this: that what does Zay Jones do well, Nick? What does he do well? Some people say he blocks well. Okay. All right. Cool. Good. Good. Cool. 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 <laughs> um, he can push himself off the ground in an impressive way. Absolutely, that's really impressive. Um, he's he does what is asked of him. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to talk about Zay Jones. Zay Jones has just enough speed to run away from people on vertical routes. And just enough speed to run away from them on crossing routes, which is where we saw him get open so far this season. But 
He doesn't separate in short area quickness. He's not nearly as good of a route runner as, as was touted coming, coming out, of, out of college. Yeah. His hands have never been as good as we thought they were going yeah, to be. Always been suspect. So my big discussion about Zay Jones is if the thing that you do well is that you have enough speed to be able to run away from people in linear fashion and you run block, I can find someone else to do those things who also gives me something else. He's not a great contested catch guy. Nope. Um, he's not really a gadget guy. Nope. He doesn't have a whole lot of special teams utility. Nope. He really is a pure third receiver, but not your, not a pure slot. Not like your Edelman Beasley slot. You know? He doesn't have short area quickness for that. No. So, here's another thing. Give me an example of a play that Zay Jones made in your memory. Yeah, that's about all I need. The fact that we have to sit here and wonder to ourselves about a play that comes to mind. When I say Zay Jones, play, and you think, um... I can, I'm sure there are some, but yeah. I'm I mean, sure there are some, they, too. But they, they're not... They don't come rushing to the front of your memory. Right. you got to think on it for at least a half a second. Now, let me ask you this. Dawson Knox, play. What do you think of? Oh, man, there's so many. Right. That's <laughs> why he's been on the team for five seconds. So, last week, I said, and it was kind of a ooh moment on the pod last week, was that I wanted Dawson Knox in Zay Jones's place in all personnel groupings because he can run block just as well, if not better, and he gives you ability in the passing game that Zay Jones doesn't give you. I said that before the game last week, and I stand by that. Zay Jones is not garbage. Zay Jones is a rosterable NFL player who will be on someone's 53 immediately if we cut him. But just because he's not trash doesn't mean we can't look for an upgrade. So my discussion as it relates to the alpha number one wide receiver is let's get another top three receiver and replace Zay Jones with that person. That doesn't mean he has to be a number one Julio Jones. That means he has to do something special. That we he can take to, advantage of. Yeah. And Zay Jones doesn't do anything special. That doesn't mean he doesn't get open. He's well-rounded. Sure. But he's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Yeah, but jack of all plays, jack of all trades implies a level of competence in each one of those trades that uh, he, I don't he, think he, he has. He, yeah. So he's he's well rounded, but none of the edges are as smooth as I'd like them to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he has enough linear speed to run away on crossing routes, drag routes, vertical routes, which is where we've seen him get open, yeah. and that's enough to be a third wide receiver. And Josh Allen needs to do his job and hit Zay Jones when he's open because Zay Jones is doing his job a lot of times. He just can't do a lot of jobs at a high level, and so we should look to replace him. The fact is, too, that when Zay Jones goes up against bad secondaries, he he, he will be productive because he is good enough. But when he goes up against a defense that is either particularly dangerous in and of themselves or they have a very strong secondary, he's... He could be, I don't know. I mean, not there. Now, at the same time, we said multiple times that he was running open against the Patriots, and Josh Allen just wasn't finding him. So, I don't know. But I think that's a, I think that's a good primer on Zay Jones. Let's go into this upcoming week's game. 
So, we now travel to Tennessee, to Nashville, to take on the Tennessee Titans. And this is going into the bye four and one versus going into the bye three and two is very different. Very different. Very, very different. This is the most important game on our schedule thus far. Yes. By leaps and bounds, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Jets game, I think, it just, yeah, I mean, it depends. The Jets game was a was a big deal. But um, this is this is bigger than the, this is definitely bigger than the Giants and the Bengals game. And the Patriots game, you know, we've all, we all kind of said, you can lose that game and it's going to be fine. So this game, I don't think many people are saying you can lose this game and it's going to be fine. I don't know if people were saying you can lose the game against the Jets and it's going to be fine. Some people were because it's so early, but I was not particularly in that camp. So we both picked this game. I picked us to lose this game. You picked us to win this game. I did. I think I'm perfect so far this season. I picked us to beat the Jets. I picked us to beat the Giants, beat the Bengals, lose to the Patriots, and then I picked us to lose to Tennessee. Oh, sucks. Buzz your girlfriend. Woof. Okay. I forgot about that. Do you still think we're going to win this game? I'll let you know if Barkley or Allen plays. You think it makes a big difference? Yes. See, I look at, again, I think very highly of Dable. And I look at what he did against the Jets last year. Now, again, the Jets and the Titans are not maybe reasonable facsimiles of each other. You're shaking your head in like a really like panicky no. The Jets corners last year were horrendous. The Jets corners this year are also horrendous. Uh, Matt Barkley throwing the ball up and having Robert Foster just literally Randy Moss a dude is not going to happen against the Titans. Yeah, well, it's not going to be Robert Foster out there because the dude sees zero playing time. Question on this about Zay Jones. Would you rather see Foster than Zay Jones? Yes. If he was healthy, which it doesn't look like he is with the groin injury. Yeah. Yes, I'd rather see Robert Foster than Zay Jones. Would you rather see Isaiah McKenzie than Zay Jones? Yes. Would you rather see Duke Williams than Zay Jones? Yes. I'm not going to keep going, but that's Because each one of those people gives you something that they do well. Yeah. I would. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know. Okay, enough with that. Enough with Zay. Go on. Okay, give us a primer on the Titans. Okay, so they obviously have wild card aspirations of their own. They wiped the floor week one against the Browns. They just beat the Browns down, which was everybody like, oh, the Browns suck, ha, ha, ha. And then the Titans came back, and I think they had a game where they got pushed around. And now they've kind of maybe... Uh, stabilized. Where, where they where, smacked around the Falcons pretty good last yeah, week. Yeah. So who who are they? The Titans are one hundred percent talented enough to make the Bills feel very uncomfortable next week. The Titans. Now I've always felt that the talent level of Atlanta has been vastly overrated. I don't think Atlanta is that talented of a team. They've been cobbled together because Matt Ryan's been a good quarterback for a long time, but they've gotten away with some really less than stellar talent on that team for a for a while, ever since their Super Bowl years. And the Titans are 100% good enough that if Marcus Mariota plays well, the Titans will beat us. And the Titans will beat us, and we will go into the bye week feeling very, very bad. Mariota has to play bad. Is, there, is stopping their offense a bigger challenge than stopping the Patriots' offense? Absolutely not, because they don't have Tom Brady. 
Well, then why are you saying that Mariota has to... When you say Mariota has to have a bad game, is that because we make him have a bad game or because he no, just No, Mariota's to- very capable of having a bad game without... <laughs> yeah, does Mariota just have to self-destruct or do we? Ha- are there things that we can do? And we, even if he wants to have a good game, even if he eats his Wheaties in the morning, we can stop him. Mariota is absolutely capable and I would argue prone to having a completely lackluster game. And yeah. But if he, if he shows up and he has a good game, the Titans will win. What's a good game? I mean, he's gonna he's gonna go deep on us. He's gonna run. He's gonna find intermediates. What is a good Mariota game? Mariota has shown flashes of not competence. Mariota has shown flashes of excellence in his career. One of the things that's so frustrating for Titans fans about is Mariota the guy is because when he has flashes, he has flashes of glory and greatness. And then you go, well, I, I what 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 was that? It it, it is. Incredibly frustrating for Titans fans. And if Mariota plays like he has historically against the Bills, the Bills will win. Because historically, he has not played well against the Bills. And the Bills made him look really bad last year. And is that, I mean, that's, he's going up against the same defense as last year. Are we going to fool him again? I don't think we have to fool him again. I think we're more talented this year than we were last year. Last year, he was going up Tremaine Edmonds when Tremaine Edmonds still didn't know how to play. Tremaine Edmonds is now certifiably a monster. He's like, got his papers. He's got his papers. <laughs> he went to the Bureau of Monsterhood, and they, they gave him a license with his picture on it and everything. Purebred monster. Purebred monster. Kennel Club certified. <laughs> and Tremaine Edmonds is a monster. When they played him the first time, Tremaine Edmonds just finished getting his butt whooped by the San Diego Chargers and Phillip Rivers, certified confused. And that's not the case anymore. So I think... We should win this game. But this is not the same game as the Jets game. This is not the same game as the Bengals game. This is not the same game as the Giants with Eli game. This is a harder game than those games. And two of those games, we barely squeaked by. We cannot come in there and have a crappy third quarter the way we did. We got to play. I, I, tell, I mean, fix me here. I, I expect, because of the two times we've pay, played Mariota... He has not looked good. And I thought that the Titans had set up camp and were having an extended stay in the Ryan Tannehill experience. Well, they haven't given Mariota a second contract yet, so they're not quite there yet. Okay. If they give Mariota a second contract, then they'll be fully in the Ryan Tannehill experience. Unless, of course, they bench him for Ryan Tannehill, in which case they'll definitely be in the Ryan Tannehill experience. Okay, so I, I... to this date, like to, until this conversation, I have not been particularly worried that our defense was going to struggle to give the Titans offense fits. The Titans offense is more talented this year than it was last year. Corey Davis is another year under his belt. A.J. Brown is legit. And well, we knew A.J. Brown was going to be legit. And Eric Moulds. Yes. And he was our comp. Wasn't yeah. that right? Yeah. And. They, they're getting Delaney Walker back to health. They have weapons. Derrick Henry has now taken over and has really played pretty well overall. And they're getting involved with him out of the passing game. They have a new offensive coordinator. Last year they had Matt LaFleur, who is, of course, now the head coach of the Packers. So this is not the same Titans team that we saw last year. It's the same Titans quarterback as we saw last year. And obviously, quarterbacks have the most significant impact on the win-loss record of a team. But it's not exactly the same. 
Okay, so what do you think they're going to try to do to us, and what are we going to try to do to them as far as them when they have the ball? If I was the Titans, I would say, okay, the Patriots couldn't get anything going running the ball. But the Giants had a little bit of success run the ball, and the Jets had a little bit of success success running the ball. I'm My offensive line's better than them. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry 30 times. And I'm going to let you deal with a six-foot-plus running back coming downhill 225 pounds of Derrick Henry coming downhill at you 30 times Ooh. right at Ed Oliver. That is going to be, I mean, Ed Oliver and Starlet Tule are going to be in the hot and cold tubs after that one. That's what I would do if I was the Titans because I want to minimize. I know that Mariota has historically not played well against this this defense, but that even though we didn't, we defended the run really well. We defended the run really well against New England, mostly because New England's offensive line is terrible this year. They're just awful. The fact that they were doing as well offensively as they were doing with the offensive line they have is a testament to Dante Skarnecchia and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But the Titans' offensive line is better, and their running back is better. And they could just bludgeon us to death the way that the Giants did on the first drive and just keep doing it. That's a possibility. But the Bills have gotten much better run defense out of Tremaine Edmonds and much better run defense out of Matt Milano. And as those linebackers get better, having Saran Neal up there, having Jordan Poyer in the box, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are playing out of their friggin' minds. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And so that helps the run defense. But if I'm the Titans, I say, listen, I I'm going to bludgeon, I'm going to bludgeon you to death. And I'm going to take shots off play action to my two vastly improved receivers with Davis and A.J. Brown. So we're going to stack the box. We're going to rely on second-level run defense with Saran Neal, Trey Edmonds, Matt Milano, and Jordan Poyer. And we need to tackle. And we need to continue. But we've been tackling really well. I mean, I'm kind of waiting for that to regress. This would be the week with Derek and That Henry. would not be good. <laughs> No, I would not. I mean, I never like whenever people are just running out of break and breaking tackles. You always just feel, you know, like a dummy. You just feel it's insulting. You know, it's 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 fundamental football. My wife makes a comparison. It's like watching a team shoot a bunch of three pointers and keep getting their own rebounds. It's that, it's that same level of <laughs> yeah. frustration and irritability, yeah. and I think it's an unbelievable comparison. Yeah, it's Shout great. out to my wife for that comparison. Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right, let's flip the ball. So now the Bills' offense has the ball. And tell us, because we have a potential quarterback situation, what is the the Titans' defense at this, at this point in time? What have they shown us to be through four weeks? The Titans' defense has talent on all levels. Cameron Wake is somehow still playing at a high level. I understand Frank Gore being 36 and running for 15,000 yards is awesome. We need to talk about Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake is 40 million years old and didn't even start playing professional football until much later in his life and is still racked up unbelievable numbers and is still playing at a high level to the point where you have to be concerned. If Cameron Wake goes up against Cody Ford, I swear by the all that is holy and sacred, if you roll out Cody Ford at right tackle and Cameron Wake beats him off the edge and beats Matt Barkley down, I'm going to scream. What's What about to the... Uh argument I've heard some say is that Inseki's knees couldn't hold up. If that's the case he shouldn't be on the, the he shouldn't be on the field at all. 
If that's the case, you need to have somebody else out there. And why isn't Inseki on the injury report? Yeah. If that's the case. Yeah, I guess. If that's the case, if Inseki can't hold up an entire game because of his knees, we need to have other things go. He needs to go under for surgery. We need to get him right. We need to do something else. But this platooning thing isn't helping anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Cameron Wake is is still a player on that team. Jarrell Casey can still play inside. Rashawn Evans, the middle linebacker from Alabama, is starting to come into his own. He's going through those same Tremaine Edmonds sort of struggles. Not quite the same because he, he was more pro-ready coming out. But he can play. Malcolm Butler can play. Are they so? Kevin Bayard can play. Are they? Uh, they have a pretty significant pass rush, or is it just Cameron Wake? The Titans' defense has more than just Cameron Wake. Jarrell Casey can play inside, so they have an exterior edge rusher who can play, and they have an interior rusher who can play. I'm more worried about Cameron Wake because of my concern about Cody Ford, more so than I'm worried about Jarrell Casey because I think last year Jarrell Casey was a bigger deal because of how incredibly poor the interior of our offensive line was. But this year, it's a little bit better. And so my concern then shifts. Not that Jarrell Casey's not a great player. He is a great player. But my concern shifts to the potential matchup between Cameron Wake and Cody Ford. Is there a particular kind of offense or play style that the Titans defense struggles with? Not really. Titans defense is very, very fine. It's very fine. They're middle of the road in yards allowed per game. Uh, the Browns didn't look good against them, but a lot of that was the Browns shooting themselves in the foot. But then, again, the Bills are prone to shooting themselves in the foot. So it's not unreasonable that we could come in and lose for the similar reasons that the Browns lost week one. But there isn't any... The thing I took away, and I mentioned it on Twitter last night when I was watching the Titans this year, is that there isn't anything egregious watching the Titans. Nothing sticks out at you. Nothing mm. makes you go, oh, well, there's something they're amazing at, or there's something they're terrible at. That sounds like a Mike Vrabel coach team, Yeah, based it, on the it, reputation he's already earned. There's nothing that pops out to me as, well, there's a clear problem right here with the Titans, and we could absolutely exploit it. My column for Buffalo Rumblings on Friday is going to be very interesting, because there isn't a clear rock, paper, scissors counter to them, because they're not terrible in any area. And they're also not amazing in any area, but they're not going to beat themselves. And the Bills have shown a propensity to shoot themselves in the foot. Especially on offense. Especially on offense. Which means that if we're waiting for them to let us beat them, this maybe isn't the team that's going to do that. I will say that the presence of Devin Singletary this week would help. That would absolutely help. Being able to get Frank Gore is playing awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I love Frank Gore. Having Devin Singletary's ability to get off tackle and potentially help us with the types of runs that allow Mitch Morse to get out in space, because you notice we don't run those kind of plays with Frank Gore because that's not really what he does, but if you will run the types of plays that allow Mitch Morse to pull and get out in space, which is one of the things Mitch Morse does very well, those kinds of plays you want to run with Devin Singletary, I think there can be success there. I think if you ask their other linebackers to run through traffic, I think you can have a win there. You can have a win, for sure. But nothing's egregious. Nothing sticks out to you as, well, there's clearly the weak link. I don't think there's a single really bad player on the Titans' defense. 
if the Bills play Matt Barkley and the Bills play Josh Allen, I obviously expect them to have somewhat different game plans. Oh, I would hope. I am confident, perhaps overly confident, that if Matt Barkley starts, Brian Dable is going to pull out his Sean McVay and try to manufacture drives down the field all game long. Do you think that that's what he would do if he... if I Am I on the right path with that? Yeah, I, the thing with Matt Barkley... And the thing that separates Matt Barkley from Josh Allen is limitations. Josh Allen doesn't have them. He has plenty of things he doesn't do well. We've talked about those things. We have plenty of things he needs to work on. But Josh Allen doesn't have things that you just cannot call as a play caller because he's your quarterback. Brian Dable strikes me as the kind of coach who coaches within his players' limitations. I would agree with that. And historically, he has done that. And there's plenty of tape on Brian Dable offenses with Matt Castle and with Brady Quinn and with, you know, there's 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 plenty of tape. Derek Anderson in Cleveland and Matt Moore in Miami. And there's plenty of tape out there of Brian Dable doing his best to hide his quarterback. So if Matt Barkley comes around, Brian Dable's not going to look at him and go, well, gosh, I've never done this before. In fact, Mike Barkley's probably better than a lot of the backups I just mentioned. And so I don't think Brian Dable's going to be unable to call a play and unable to call an offense with Matt Barkley. The difference is the Titans' defense can give you things, can call defensive plays that give you things that they know you can't take advantage of. Okay. Is there anything else? I mean, I'll, we'll leave it for your column. Um, I know people are here listening to this because they want a little bit of preview. It's really difficult for us, I think, until we know who the quarterback is. Is there anything in general that you think, regardless of who's at quarterback, needs to be a part of the game plan to go against the Titans' defense for the Bills this week that's going to give us the opportunity for success? I mean, Singletary... Is a big part. Singletary of it. is get, a big get part Singletary of that. Singletary in space, runoff tackle. You know, um, you know, I, he just gives us another thing that we don't have. I think the big thing for this particular game, whether or not Josh Allen or Matt Barkley plays, is the concept of playmaking is going to be more important. And I know that sounds really strange because playmaking is always important. But especially coming from a game where nobody on offense made plays and Josh tried to by himself, it's really important if Josh Allen plays and is just coming off a game where we yelled at him and his coaches yelled at him to think smart and not try and be a playmaker because quarterback doesn't you want the quarterback to distribute the ball to the playmakers. You don't want the quarterback to try and be everything in eight elevenths of the offense. I think it's I think Joe Marino said that on his pod. Don't try and be eight elevenths of the offense, just be one eleventh of the offense. And but I think it's important for Matt Barkley if he plays, because Matt Barkley can't make plays. And I think it's important for Josh Allen if he plays, because we don't want Josh Allen to try to make plays. So I think the concept of playmaking is really important for the other offensive playmakers this game, more so than it normally would be. I know that's really strange. Well, you always want people to make plays. But it's important for Barkley if, if he starts because he can't do it. And it's important if Josh Allen if he starts because we don't want him to try yeah, to do it. You know what I think that Brian Dable is going to do? is He's going to go back into his bookshelf 
Yeah, he's got a little hutch above his desk, right? I'm going to paint you a visual picture. So Daybolg shuffles into his office. I'm making him an old man, too. He shuffles into his office, and he goes back, and he sees that Josh Allen's... Let's say Josh Allen's out. He's gonna say, he hears that Josh is out. You know, he's, he's in the concussion protocol. He's not going to play. Daybull shuffles into his office. He goes over to his desk. He opens up the hutch doors that are above his desk, and he pulls out this binder, and it's dusty, and he brushes the dust off the top of it, and it says, Peterman Playbook. These, he's going to go back to the plays that he designed the offense around whenever Nate Peterman and A.J. McCarron were going to be running his offense last year, right? Like, he, this is what he originally wanted to do before Allen came on, came on the scene, and then he had to change the offense again. So now he gets to go back. <laughs> and run the offense that he originally wanted. I'm just imagining. I'm imagining him wiping off the dust, <laughs> blowing it off, and then going, "Hello, old friend." And he just kind of like he like rubs the spine a little bit, like real like you know, he caresses affect, it affe- real affectionately. Like, oh gosh, they finally get to show this off. You know, got he got a whole half out of it, but you know, with four interceptions from Nate Peterman. Somebody knocks on his door. He abruptly looks up. What? 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 what are you? Hey, coach, what you doing? Clutch, nothing. He nothing. It nothing. To his I'm just real quick. I'm just remembering an old friend. <laughs> I'm yeah. just reminiscing. Don't mind an old man reminiscing for a little bit. I would be interested to see. I mean, I I think that that's part of it. And I also liked, you know, I thought that the Jets game with Barkley last year was trick play heavy. It was misdirection heavy. And Barkley comes on the field. What's one of the first big plays that we saw was the screen to John Brown at a at a and a throw to TJ Yeldon. You know, a big misdirection play. It almost freaking worked. Um, and I I think it's going to be a lot more of that. And the Titans may be a disciplined defense. He's going to put plays in there this week that I think with Matt Barkley they're designed to see how disciplined you really are. The other thing to make sure you know with Matt Barkley is Matt Barkley has limitations. But he doesn't make the same mistakes Allen makes. And that's important. Matt Barkley's problem is that there are certain things the defenses can give you that Matt Barkley simply can't take advantage of. He doesn't have the mobility. He can't buy time in the pocket. He doesn't have the arm to be able to take advantage of certain things that the defense is going to give you. But you'll never look at Matt Barkley and go, you know what, Barkley? Your problem was you didn't check the ball down to this obvious easy. Matt Barkley's all about that easy money, man. Matt Barkley's all about that easy money. Matt Barkley's like, listen, man, I, I ain't an athlete. I never have been. I never tried to be. If the pocket closes around me, I'm not going to try and spin my way out of four tackles. I'm going to look for Cole Beasley, and I'm going to look for a check down out of the pocket and go, here, I don't know. It's your problem now. Take the ball. Do something with it. I don't know. He's not going to make the same mistakes that Allen makes. Now, he also doesn't have the capability, the ceiling that Allen does. But the defense knows this. And if Barkley plays, the defense is going to know that there's going to be a constriction, which is going to be, make execution and playmaking more important for him than it would be for Allen. All right. With that, we will tie this up in a nice, neat little bow. And thank you guys very much for listening to this edition of the Nick and Nolan podcast. We will see you next week after the Titans game before the bye. And we will we have a very interesting show planned as we recap the Titans game. And then we're going to have a conversation that's going to span over two weeks that we think is going to be uh, it's going to it's definitely going to land in. Uh, I don't I think it's going to be polarizing. That's probably the way to describe it. Would you say so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people are going to love me or hate me after yeah. that one. <laughs>
Yeah, they're gonna yeah, they're gonna love both of us or us. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you wanna reach out to us, you can find me on Twitter at NickBat and ICKBAT. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And before we go into battle, this next week, steal yourselves. And remember our battle cry. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.